Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I am here with my co-host. Gypsy. And today we have Antonio Latson. He is the author of a kid's book about crypto called Brandy and Jacob Crypto Adventures. Welcome, Antonio. Welcome. Well, thank you guys for having me on today. How are you guys doing today? Doing pretty doing good. Doing pretty good, yes. It's a pleasure having you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, about, you know, like where you're from and how did you got into what you do today as far as crypto and everything. Well, I was born in Southern South Carolina, and then we migrated to New York City, where I kind of grew up. And, you know, I think I kind of moved back and forth between Las Vegas and California and New York and kind of graduated in California and immediately went to the military, did about eight years in the military. Uh, overseas, kind of traveled the world on Uncle Sam's dollar. You know, it was my favorite uncle right there. He always paid for my tickets and everything. <laughs> so I got kind of got that out of the way. After that, you know, I came back to California because I left from here and I joined the Department of Correction. And I've been working in law enforcement for like 27 years. Wow. Finally retired February at the level of a uh, captain. And after that, I just had to find something to do. I kind of got interested in uh, crypto technology in the whole space. Okay. You say you went to the military. Is that, was that in your family or is that something that you just decided to do? No, you know, my father was in the military. My, my uncle was in the military. Okay. You know, I think it was a, it was a good avenue for me at the time. Uh, I was a knothead growing up. You can't hide that. You know, I was getting into too much mischief, (laughs) you know, military kind of rain, rain me back in and, and gave me direction. So okay. I think going to the military was a good thing for me. You know, it opened my eyes to the world, you know, growing up in, in Harlem and getting to see outside of Harlem and outside of these other areas of poverty. You know, you open your eyes up, you open your mind up and it kind of takes you in a different direction. You know, that old tale is uh, there's a fork in every road. Either you go left or you go right. I went right in the military. You know, I think it was a good decision for me because I think the road was good so far. You know, God bless him. Okay. You say so you um were born in South Carolina. I'm originally from Mississippi. So okay. what what was it like as far as in, in South Carolina growing up the little time that you were there? Well, you know, South Carolina it was pretty good. You know, I think at at I'm fifty three years old. So back then a lot of people migrated from down south and went to the the cities for better jobs, better environment. And the culture itself was different from being in the South. You know, deep South wasn't no joke. Yeah. You got some 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 good learning down there, you know. But, you you, you know, it was what it was at the time, you know. Yeah. And evolution changes everything. But, you know, every summer we would go home down South. And, you know, you pick up the, the old traditions. You, know, you, you get your tail whipped by a couple of aunties, a couple of cousins, you know, from acting up. <laughs> you know, I think going home in the summer – instilled a little more discipline in you because that's where the yes ma'am the no ma'am you know you respected your elders down south and at the same time living in new york it was a little more freedom Hmm. because you know down south compared to going to a big city it was a big change so i think i I captured the best of both worlds you know like making some kool-aid and some tea at the same time (laughs) <laughs> had a nice drink, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm saying, you know, so I know Mississippi, you know, kind of the same way. Yeah. You know, yeah. down south. 
familiar. Grow yeah. with that respect. Yeah. So what was um, New York like for you when you say you grew Man. up in, in Harlem? Man, New York was, uh, it was totally different. Uh, you know, I think New York had that, I mean, say if you had a big family in New York, it had that family connection. But at the same time, they, they had those avenues. If you want to get in trouble, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> you know, you know, New York never sleeps. It's 24-7. Yeah. And I think when you hit your preteens, you kind of smell that city. You know, it's a concrete jungle. You can't deny it. I mean, did I have direction growing up in New York? I'll say sometimes. Did I have, uh, I think the containment wasn't there because the city, you can go anywhere in the city. You can get lost in that city. You get on a train, the A train. You know, double D, you get lost. You you might be in Harlem now, an hour later, you're in Coney Island. I mean, you can get lost as a youngster in New York. So I think New York gave me some good lessons, though. I think New York, uh, it let me be wild. Oh, you know, I was wilding out. Mom would tell me, hey, you got to go live with your auntie for a minute. You know, <laughs> she'll send me, send me to Las Vegas, come back home, I'm wilding out again. You know, I'll be in California. I think every time I went to New York, I learned a little more of what the concrete jungle is, you know, I mean, I see, I see some things in New York, you know, I love it. You know, I say now me and my wife went back there probably two years ago, about a year and a half ago. You know, I see my people, you know, we went, we went downtown, we did Central Park, we did the tourist thing, but then we went back to Harlem and, and seeing Harlem now versus when I seen it then, there's a big dramatic change. You know, I think it's getting more, I'm not going to say that regentrification thing. I'm just going to say it's getting more integrated, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. when I grew up, when I grew up, you didn't see too many people that didn't look like us walking around Harlem with baby characters. We got home this time, I'm looking around like, wow, mm. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So, so I think New York is definitely changing for good or bad. I don't know. It's changing. Though. I would say it's changing, mm. you know, progress, everything happened with progress, but I love growing up in New York. You know, I went to uh, matter of fact, I, I, I used to sing in a choir back in the day. You know, when you come from California and the educational system out here versus the educational system in New York, you go home, you're the smartest kid in class. And you're like, damn, excuse my language. You're like, man, I'm the smartest kid in class. You know, you go back to Harlem. I just don't think the curriculum was pushed, the education wasn't pushed in inner cities versus living out here in California. So when I talk to somebody in California and says, man, we didn't have this, we didn't have this, I say, wow, go to New York. And you really understand about education back in those days, and it wasn't really geared towards you or for you. I think it was just holding you there. You know, that's, that was just my interpretation of what I seen growing up in Harlem. What um, brought so, you I mean, to, it wasn't bad. I was going to say, what brought you to California? Oh, man, I was wilding out. <laughs> I, was doing, <laughs> I mean, I was doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. We're going to leave it at that. <laughs> you know, uh, God bless the dead. My grandma, I think my grandmother's seen it. You know, it, it's you, two things you can end up in New York. You can end up dead or you can end up in jail. Mm. I'm not saying there's no avenues of getting your education and everything else, but I think once you get into that, that, that mainstream of getting in trouble, it's hard to break away from it. I mean, everything's right there. And, and being in a concrete jungle and everything's open to you, you kind of get into mischief. You know, if you ain't on your books, you get into mischief. And I think my grandmother seen me getting into mischief and her mother made that decision that it was time for me to go. So they sent me out here, little uncle and auntie in, in California. Ended up in Vacaville, California, Onionfield country of the world. Onionfield? Well, I, onion, yeah, Vacaville okay. was loving onions. 
onions and more onions. So, so you took a kid from Harlem wearing Timberlands and some camis, you know, had had the Afro rock and everything else. Come out here to California. Three months later, you know, I got my flip flops on. You know, I got my shorts on. You know, chilling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a whole different, whole different world. Whole different energy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was, I was grateful for that opportunity. That opportunity kept me out of the jail cell. I can say that, and kept me out of the graveyard. So, thanks to my my grandmother, and my mother, you know, for put for, for taking that direction with me. Okay. And like you say, nobody wants to send a kid away, but sometimes right. it's best. To keep them alive, yeah. or keep them keep free. Them to understand. Yeah. Exactly. But you grew up in a big, uh, big family. Or was it only? Um, were you the only child? Well, I was the only child. My grandmother had like nine kids, okay. and they had kids. Yeah. So you know, when you when you grow up in that close proximity to all your cousins, your cousins become your sisters and brothers. Yeah. And, and you know, my mother was the second oldest, so her brothers and sisters became my brothers and sisters. Okay. So, so I was fortunate, you know, no siblings, you know, it was kind of good because I, at the same time, I was fortunate to have a big enough family. So, so I think it worked out. I mean, it worked out for the best, you know. So, it was a true blessing. Um, your experience in the military after leaving, what was your direction as far as around that time? Did you have a hard time kind of adjusting to, I guess, coming back into non-military things or you went straight into the correction? Yeah. You know, I think I, when I joined the military, uh, I had that, that uh, bit of hard head in me and they kind of reformed that into some better directions. And I'll tell you, when a person grows up in adversity, and you put them in a situation with good training and good direction, they use those skill sets and it makes them a better soldier, a better leader, a better commander. You know, adversity builds a person. You know, I think when I when I got in the military, I went from Oklahoma to Europe and we did some, did some traveling from there. And I, and I love being in the military. You know, I was just last year, me and my wife went down to Dallas. And we had a meetup with some guys I knew when I was 19 years old. So we have a friendship lasting 30 years long, you know, yeah. it's kind of crazy. You see a guy you used to club with in the military. Now you're a pastor, <laughs> or you, you know, <laughs> you're like, wow, time changing, yeah. you know? So, so I think that was good for, for some friendship. And, you know, when I got out of the military, I, I, I didn't, I didn't waste time. You know, as soon as I got out, I hit the ground running. You know, my uncle was very pro Get you a job, man. You got time for that. He grew up in Philly, so he kind of knew, hey, you, you need to get on. So when I got out, I, I tested for Department of Correction, Highway Patrol, Contra Costa Sheriff, Oakland PD, you know, Vacaville PD. And I passed all of them. Only one I didn't pass was Highway Patrol. You know, that, that, was, that, was, that was more thinking right there. And, you know, my thing was the first one that gave me a job, I took it. So my transition period from the military to law enforcement was what? I say six, nine months. After that, mm-hmm. you know, I had a job nine months later, six months, six to nine months later, I was in the academy and I, and I started my Department of Correction, you know. And the Department of Correction, whole different world, whole different, whole different world. What are some of the biggest differences between, you know, I guess 
the military mindset and the uh, Department of Correction type of mindset? I think when you, when you when you put it in a perspective, you talk about military, paramilitary, a military organization, which is Army, it's great military, right? Paramilitary, they're trying to orientate themselves or or model themselves around a military perspective. You know what I'm saying? So a paramilitary organization like Department of Correction, you, you have policies, you, you have structure in line, you have command structure, and you follow that, right? And doing this for a long time, I think I got in in 95, 94. The department was a total different, different, different world. You know, you hear about gladiator school, you know, staff getting assaulted, inmates getting killed. You're talking about gangs, no tenures, crips, blood. You know, there's a lot of things you had to take in when you get in the Department of Correction uh, versus being in the military, you know. So I think growing up in Harlem, going to the military and then going to correction kind of prepared me for that. Seeing, seeing some of those adventures, some of those rides I went on. It was like being in a, a prison. You know, the state has 33 right now. Prison is a city itself. And a lot of, a lot of I think a lot of civilians don't understand what that is. When a person is incarcerated and he's put in that system and he, whatever prison he's at, he's in that city. So he has to follow the norm of that city. Even though there's departmental policies and guidelines, each prison operates different because each prison has a different mission. You know, you have lower levels to higher levels. So whatever level you in, that's how you're going to operate. Say if you, you know, I, I was fortunate. To, my first institution was Sierra Conservation Center, which is a fire camp institution that housed level three and level four overrides, you know, higher level custody. But the mission of that institution was to put out inmate firefighters. You had about 15 camps that, that they were under from Central California all the way to Southern California. And those are great assets to, to California because you're training a convicted felon to be an inmate firefighter. I used to call them firefighters because anytime they put their life on the line, you know, you're not thinking inmate, you're thinking firefighter. You know, he's doing the same thing. These guys out there making all that money. You know, he, he's learned the skill set. The average person is not going to go out there and fight fires, but he's doing this. You know, he does he have to do it? No. But he's putting in a position where, okay, you do this and you're getting paid. You learn the tool. And at the same time, back then, they were giving you one for one, you know, one day after sentence. Every day you served, you got one off, you know, so that was kind of a, incentive for you to be an inmate firefighter. So so I did that for a while. And I worked at, I don't know if you heard of Dual Vocational Center. That was probably one of the oldest one with San Quentin and Folsom, you know, where, okay, yeah, where, where guys are getting, yeah, guys are getting stabbed constantly. And, and it was just total, you know, chaos. So I think my ride in Department of Correction was pretty good. But then my career, Department of Correction, I activated a a hospital prison, a prison hospital called California Healthcare Facility. It was a, a high price tag to open a place. And that place mission was to take all the sick mental health inmates and put them in one central location. You know, it was supposed to be a cost saving. So you figure you have 30 prisons and some you have inmates that's getting an older population who's getting sick. You always had to farm them out to hospitals or something else which was cost, cost, you know, taking that cost. So you build an institution right here, we're going to centralize all of that. And you have different disciplines working there from doctors to nurses, psychologists, 
phlebotomists, mental health staff. Uh, opening that place right there, it taught me a lot because your 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 language has to change. Working with a whole bunch of prison guard, we have the same language. Working with staff of different disciplines and different mission, you know, even though these only way they can get a bed in this hotel was to be a convicted felon, they were there for a purpose, whether it be dementia, old age, uh, cancer, something. They had to have that to get to this hotel. I call it a hotel because that's the only way you got it. You had to be a convicted felon. Mm. But opening that place up itself, it was pretty good because I think the state seen a vision and they acted on it. And I think it was helpful for a lot of those guys because you figure a guy going to prison young, he don't understand. You got 30 years to go. You ain't always going to be this young and, and thin guys off you. You know? Right. So by opening that place right there, it kind of helped these guys out. It put them where they need to be. You know, that I think the mission was good for elderly inmates, sick inmates, guys with mental health issues. So I think the mission itself was very good for them. So I think I ended my career there. And after that, you know, just have to see what I can do. So is this a program that's only in, like, in your area or in California, or is this is something that is kind of nationwide? Well, you when you start talking about uh, institutions with a mission of mental health and medical, you have one in San Diego. This is RJD. They have a, health, a pretty healthy inmate medical mission. And you have this one up here in Northern California. But I think this one here is really focused on that. And they send a lot of these guys to this institution. Uh, within that institution itself, you have level ones through four. You have inmates in OHU, outpatient. You have inmates in, in pretty high level of care. And you have inmates where Department of State Hospital. I don't know if you heard about that. Department of State Hospital? Not familiar. Part, yeah, Department of State Hospital is a is a psych, psychiatric place, right? That's operated by the state. There were more Department of State Hospitals before the pendulum swung. You know, when everybody started talking about taxes, everybody started talking about, okay, we're spending too much money on these places right here. So when you close those kind of places that was caring for the mental, mentally ill, these guys go back on the street. What do they do? They start creating crime, right? Yeah. When you start creating crime and put them in an institutional setting, I don't think a lot of institutions are ready to deal with that because you got a different monster on your hand. You're dealing with guys with psychosis, schizophrenia, and these are lifetime events that they've had. You know, before they cut those programs, these guys are going to state hospitals. So when they get in there, you know, we had old saying, oh, JCAS. That was just a term of endearment that we call the guys that had some mental issues, you know, not knowing better. I think the state had to understand that. So there were a lot of lawsuits that came about saying, okay, you guys are charged with taking care, <clears throat> excuse me, taking care of these guys now. So what are you going to do about it? So that takes Department of Correction and say, okay, we have to put things in place to make sure that we are taking care of this inmate, inmate patient, inmate, whatever you want to call it. So now you're just talking about stronger mental health programs, hiring more mental health staff, talk about hiring more medical staff. So you're incorporating that into an institutional setting where the basic correctional officer, correctional staff, understand the security aspect. You know, you wasn't trained on how to handle a mental health patient. You wasn't trained on how to handle a medical patient. You were trained how to keep a convicted felon 
incarcerated within an institutional setting and operate that. So you put that together, you have you have an explosion of, of all of these categories and all of these different disciplines working together, and you have to put direction on that. Okay, what supersedes what? Do security supersedes saving a guy's life, right? Do security supersedes a guy getting his his treatment, you know, dialysis. And you you have to look at that, and that's a complex issue to put together. I mean, it's like taking a puzzle, throwing it in the air, and now you're sitting there seeing what piece goes where. And at the end of the day, you have to take, say, Title 22 is governed by medical staff, right? A lot of nurses, it talks about all the medical needs, what they what they should do, what they should buy by. You talk about Department of Operation Manual, DOM, and lesser policies. Okay. It kind of governs the security aspect of it. So you have to marry those together sometime and come up with local operating procedures. And at the same time, you have to be cognizant, are you violating law? Because a lot of things, Department of Correction Manuals and Title 15 government is law. A lot of things, uh, Title 22 under the medical aspect is medical law, where these guys are messing with their license if they violate and everything else. Yeah. So it's a touchy subject. So you don't got me on this this <laughs> stuff I retired from, you know, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it left me, yeah. <laughs> but you it's very informative <laughs> information, you know. <laughs> they got me. And, and you know what, it's, it's good because I'll tell you, uh, people of color needs to understand, you know, and people get incarcerated. And the only thing they wanna know, the only thing you really hear is, man, what you put on my books or, you know, or visiting time. There's more into this. There's there. You talk about the apprenticeship programs they have in there. You talk about guys going there, getting jobs, learning skills. When a guy gets incarcerated, the worst thing he can do is sit there. You know, yeah. you, you have to learn. Hey, man, you can't just sit there. You're gonna go crazy, or you're gonna go be an introvert, or you're gonna turn into violence, or you're gonna join somebody in prison game. And you come in here with two years, you turn around, you got ten years. Mm. You know, so you, you're battling time. And I think growing up where I did grow up, it gave me a, a better insight to talk to you guys saying, hey, man, I, I shit, I grew up with you through my language. I grew up where you grew up. Don't, don't take like that. But you got yourself here. What are you going to do while you're here? There's a lot to do. Okay. All these programs here. You got guys that come in from outside, you know, drug re- rehabilitation, alcohol programs. You have guys come in uh, learning. I mean, there is so much when a person gets incarcerated that he can do to turn around his situation. And, and a lot of times, I mean, I think right now, the way the laws are structured, people are getting paroled pretty fast, you know. Mm-hmm. And with crime going up in California, you know, I was I was watching one of the DAs down in LA. He had let some people out and they kind of rubbed some people the wrong way, right? So so when you have these judges make decisions saying, okay, you guys are overcrowded. You need to get rid of so many inmates. So now you go back into policy and you start looking at their the fence, you know, their crime, how much time they got, what are you gonna give them towards good time? Can we let you out? Right. And I think they super supersized that and did it too fast because now when these guys get out, you take a lot of a lot of authority from parole agents because parole agents can't violate them like they used to. Back in the day, parole agent about send a guy back to prison. Which was not a good or bad thing, but back in the day, a guy get violated, he goes back to prison automatically for some pay. So it's just harder to send guys back to prison. So as we see crime as it is now, California is really thinking about okay, did we make the right decisions? 
And all these decisions came about because of overcrowding jails, overcrowding prisons, you know, bad living conditions, inhumane living conditions, about, you know, what the doctor, what the documents say. You know, I'm not saying that, but but you deal with what you got. And if you operate in this city, you know, I've, I've, I rose to the level of administrator. So when you're dealing with these cities and guys are coming in, you, you're looking at budgets, you're looking at staffing, you're looking at a whole bunch of things and you have to facilitate incarcerate this inmate and making sure he has a, a program. When I say a program, what, what level he's gonna be on, is he gonna have a job, is he gonna have yard time, is he gonna do this? There's a lot that goes into operating a institutional setting. But but you know what? It's not all negative. I mean, I I've, I had a lot of W's in the department. You know, when a guy is doing something bad on the yard, he's a level one inmate, he's 19 years old, he looks like me. Hey, man, you better knock that off. I'm going to tell your mama. You don't know my mama. Man, I've caught somebody's mama in a heartbeat. <laughs> you know what your son here doing? I've called their mama before, you know. Or you go to the visiting room, you know any mom in the visiting room. And not all people incarcerated are bad. They just made, made, made bad decisions. Right. And you have to pay for it. So when a guy's young and he comes into prison, like you say, he can get a job, he can learn something, or he can join a prison game. And that last one usually gets some more time. Like, is he going there with two years? Now he's got 10 years. Now he's got 15 years. Yeah. You know, because these guys are going to are going to assess him and say, okay, you want to join a gang? You got to do this. Either you're going to be muting somebody's drugs. Either you're going to be assaulting somebody for them. You're going to do something that's going to pull you deeper into that world where you're in jail for petty, petty rock, carjacking somebody. You're in jail for, for, you know, stealing a car or something. I'm not saying that's right, but those are lesser in the crime scale. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so these guys have to have some kind of direction. So you got me talking about CDCR, which you know I've been doing too long. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, that's something that you, you know, you definitely know about. And that's one of the reasons why we have our platform to where to talk to people with experience yeah. like you. And, you know, we can get that kind of information, that experience. So, so the best, so the best avenues to that is preventive. You know, we're on these streets. We got to be preventive to keep these youngsters out of jail. You know, I think the glorification of, of the gangs kind of went away in a lot of areas. And I think a lot of these youngsters look at TikTok, YouTube. You know, I look at you guys, substantially younger than me, podcasting. Those are positive attitudes. You know, uh, a lot of these guys look to forex you know one of my cousins from new york called me he's like 20 years old hey cuz what you doing sam no much he said hey what about this forex i said forex oh i don't even drive a forex he said no man i you talking about a car what are you talking about man forex but but you know he's 19 years old he's telling me about an ivy league skill that they only taught in ivy league college and a lot of people of color don't know that I mean, a lot of people, period, without money, don't know that. But right. people of color, we really didn't know that. Foreign exchange trading. You know, you're trading a fiat currency against another fiat currency. That's all you're doing. You don't own nothing. You're not selling nothing. You're trading. That's all you're doing. But, but you know, Ivy League College, you go, and they're teaching about Forex. They're teaching about the stock market. They're teaching about all of this. 
that we're not. So when I see young people, young men and women of color getting into this, I get excited. So he, you know, he laced me up, told me about it and everything else. I mean, he got me up two o'clock in the morning. I'm trading forex, you know. I'm looking at the markets and everything else. <laughs> and, and, and he put me in his network. So when I see his networks, I see many young black men and women out there getting their money. They're doing positive things. You know, those are determinants of saying, okay, we're, we're changing. The pendulum's swinging for us. Not as fast as we want it, but it's swinging for us. I mean, positive mm-hmm. things. So, so I can look at CDCR when I see all those young kids, 19, 20 years old, coming to pin. You know, thinking they got their badge of honor. Ain't no badge of honor. You even got caught and did something stupid. Now you got to do some time and you got convicted fellows for the rest of your life and you pay for it. But can you change the outcome, the narrative of what they try to give you? Yes, you can. You know, I love that because you know, I tell guys all the time, you know, they said, man, Lieutenant Last one talk to you. So now, you know, I talk to these guys like my kids, what you doing? And we'll have that conversation. And they see me coming, you know, I'm, I'm talking all this to them. You know, don't tell me about them streets. I grew up on those streets. You know, I was doing some things I ain't going to talk about, but, you know, I grew up on those streets. So you can change your life no matter where you're at right now. You know, but what's going on now today, when you talk about Forex, cryptocurrency, you know, I see a lot of minorities into it. And the narrative and, and and what media will portray is a lot of Blacks are not into cryptocurrency. A lot of blacks not into force, and and I can say that's a lie. Yeah. These guys are killing this game right now. I don't know about you guys. You guys have you guys done it? Yeah, we're yeah, into we're it. into crypto. cryptocurrency. I was gonna ask, like, when did you get into crypto, and what uh, made you get into it in the beginning? It's cr- and it's crazy because when my cousin hit me up with that forex trading, and it, it, when, when you're buying, when you're taking your money, you change your fiat currency into crypto. They want you to do Bitcoin. And then you send your Bitcoin to your broker. And, you know, I'm doing this. And I, you know, I'm telling him every time I say, dang, what you doing, cuss, man? I don't know. I lost about $50 again. You know, save the <laughs> cyberspace. And, you know, because I didn't know. But, but then it, it, it dawned on me, you know, I'm taking what, you know, I had to read what is crypt, what is Bitcoin because it's all about Bitcoin. A lot mm-hmm. of these, a lot of these, uh, these brokers wanted Bitcoin. But I didn't understand why they only wanted Bitcoin. They wasn't taking cash. They mm-hmm. wanted Bitcoin. You know, they knew mm-hmm. something we didn't know. They said I didn't know. So I started reading into it. And then when I learned what Bitcoin was, which is nothing but a digital asset, you know, and that's a new arriving asset class that's, that's blowing everybody's mind. I started getting to the rest of the crypto stuff, Ethereum. You know, I started understanding what utilities these guys have. You know, people talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin ain't nothing but a digital asset, right? You, you, so you, you guys are into it, so you know that, but the average person don't know. It has a similarity to gold, you know, 21 million only in circulation. Only so many people can hold that. Yeah. Same thing with gold. Only so many people can possess amount of gold like that, like our four knocks and say, we got some money now. So I see a, a change happening. You know, we're getting out of that, that, that metal to a digital asset now. And then the rest of those guys are just as bad. Man. You guys already know when you start talking about different assets like Ethereum, you know, yeah. or, or, Polygon, ADA, or the blockchain itself. And, you know, and the education part of it is what is a blockchain and what is it used for? Usually people my age don't want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? The whole thing they want to hear is, man, I can't spend that. I can't spend a blockchain yet. <laughs> but <laughs> think about it. Now. People my age don't want to hear that. I've mean, I talked to right. guys my age. They don't want to hear that. 
but they don't understand. We miss the internet. We miss the boat on the internet. I don't care what you're telling me. Black people miss the boat on the internet. You know, nobody wanted to deal with that. You remember the AOL, you got the little buzzing sound going on. Nobody wanted to deal with the internet. Nobody wanted to invest in internet. Nobody wanted to invest in Apple. You know, not people of color, not many of them, small percentage, I'll say that. Right. But but we didn't have the access like we have today to understand it. You know, like you say, internet wasn't functioning big enough to us to understand internet. You know, you didn't have TikTok, you didn't have YouTube, you didn't have all of this, these information sources to tell you what it is. So I think it's a loss when people are not sitting there taking advantage of all of this stuff. Because I'll tell you right now, cryptocurrency is your new web uh, internet is your web three and everything built on that is, is contained in technology so when you're talking about a fiat currency turned into a digital assets and then you wrapping technology around it and you talk about some bad stuff there that's like nitro <laughs> i mean you cannot stop the explosion i get excited talking about it because you know for my age you guys ages you look at it and you're, you're at the tip of the spear right now think what this thing's going to do later on yeah I mean, you you got Charles Hopkins. You know, he's he's the founder of uh, Ada, Cardano. Yeah. He's taking all that technology and he's applying it in Africa. He's applying it in India. Those are big populations right there. Those are populations with some technology problems. You know, their tracking system is not good. Their banking system is not good. They have scams constantly. Think if you mm-hmm. could take that technology and sit that down in Africa. And a lot of people don't understand. Africa is a leading country in crypto and block chain technology huh. people are sleeping on that people are sleeping on that my brothers that. over there are getting it <laughs> i'm sorry go ahead. no i was saying i didn't know that yeah because not oh. too many people talk about crypto in africa i know i've heard of acoin and um mm-hmm. a couple of other ones we just heard of one yesterday i forgot what no, the name Acorn. was but was it guap well acorn yeah. Guap, Guap is the first black crypto that was made. A lot of people don't know about Guap, but Guap was the first one made. So well, after we get off of this, man, I, I challenge, challenge you guys to go check out that Guap. Get your Guap, right? I got me some, okay. right? And Acorn, when you talk about Acorn, you talk about Acorn, the rapper, right? Mm-hmm. Singer, yeah. whatever he is. He started that 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 whole process there, and he started building something called Acorn City. Yeah. You know, new technology city. You know, pretty advanced. I was just checking that out last week. And, you know, it looks good. I think he started the funding good, but now there are some hiccups. And I say there's some hiccups because more funding is going to be needed. And I think if that process gets off the road, man, that's going to, that's going to blow people's mind right there. You know, yeah. and now when you talk about crypto technology used in Africa, what, what they first thing to utilize it were for their schools and how to use that blockchain technology to retain information for their schools. You know, how can you use that blockchain technology to, to use for identity identification? So there's a lot of things going on over there. India just jumped back in the game. They want to be a part of it. India is a leading leading place also in technology. But like I said, a lot of people are sleeping on Africa. Africa's leading the way. If you really get into the deep dive of it, Africa is leading the way on crypto technology. I love it. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, like my, my Wanda I'm ready to get out of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Actually, I'm glad you mentioned um, about the, the ADA being used in the schools because I've kind of tried to explain it, but I don't know the full details of it. I grew up in Ethiopia, and um, that's where ADA is being used in the education system. Do you know yeah, the exactly. details on that, like how they're using it? 
So, so if you take a blockchain technology, like, like what Cardano, Tart Hoskins doing, uh, the, the worst thing that's happening over there, they have no tracking system in place. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and blockchain technology is a ledger. It keeps record of everything. And it's true because it's not owned by one person. Say if you take a couple of blocks and you push them all around and you connect them all, that's your blockchain. That's your information hub. So that's your ledger. Your, your true ledger is getting kept with that technology. So when you start talking about tracking in Africa, there is no tracking system. It's very hard to track, okay? They don't yeah. have a, their technology is not fast enough to track that. So once that tracking system gets placed with those schools, you can track a guy from, from when he started school, when he ended school, where he went to, his credentials, what he's learned. I mean, that's a pretty big platform when you start networking that around to Africa itself. Ethiopia also, Ethiopia is Africa. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't know that. Yeah. But, I mean, a lot of people don't know that I'm from Africa. Oh, man, Africa, Ethiopia. That's where I started at. <laughs> if you don't know, Africa got its name from a, a Roman general who conquered Africa. When Rome conquered something, the general got the name of Africa, you know, put that name on it. So he said, General Africana. So he named Africa. He, you know, got me talking. You know, got me talking. Got me talking. So, so you look at it like when you take that technology and put it in those schools, you're building a blockchain a ledger of information that's going to be retained and, and can be used, utilized throughout their country. So you start there, and now you're talking about using that same technology on identification process. There's a lot of fraud over there, a lot of scams going on. But if you can, you can minimize that and use that blockchain technology for identification, then you move on to your banking sector. And, and apply that blockchain in your banking sector. And you have different coins, utility coins that deal with that, like XRP or or what's another good one? XRP is a good one. I say XRP because that's the big news. But there's a couple yeah. other ones that you that you can apply that with. You kind of understand what I'm saying when you say you're applying that technology in schools? Yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Glad yeah. you explained so, that. So 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 I think it's it's good that we're doing that now. I just wish more older black people jump on this bandwagon and, you know, cause I see a lot of millennials in this game, millennials of mm -hmm. colors in this game. And I love to see them that Forex crypto, they're in this game. You know, they're coming up with, you know, they're coming up their version of games. Uh, NFT is the big now, non-fungible tokens. Yeah. And, and black non-fungible tokens is nothing but a digital picture or a digital ledger. So I think when people talk about NFT, they get caught up in the picture itself. So a non-fungible token is nothing but a digital ledger of something that you're certifying. So let's apply an NFT to a, say you're getting the board, and I don't say that word. Let's say you're selling your car, right? Yeah. And the documentation that you're selling your car with, you got to go to DMV, they got to type it in, they got to stamp it. What if you make that a non-fungible token and you put a demarcation on it, now it's part of the blockchain. It can never get lost. It can never be changed. Nobody can alter it. Now it's marked in history. That's the beautiful part of what NFT really does. I think people get caught up and, you know, I bought a board ape. Or I bought, you know, a, a picture. Sound, yeah, that sounds good. But yeah. when you talk about these guys doing that bad stuff coming down the road, when they're talking about NFTs, they're talking about contracts. They're talking about, you know, identification processes. They're talking about, 
uh, ledgers, you know, companies are using NFTs to keep that documentation, which is going to go on, go into the blockchain itself. Yeah, and I'm hearing real estate. That, it's big thing right there. Real estate, real yeah. estate right there. You buy a house, right? Yeah. You turn that documentation process into NFT. Never get lost. It's on the blockchain, you know, but you have security protocols that you have to follow to access it, but it's on the blockchain itself, you know, yes. you know, then we jump, then, you know, you go a little deeper into that. You start talking about the metaverse, you know, we, we've been in the metaverse for a long time. I just think they, they, they look at it now and capture, you know, we're going to make it a big thing. You know, Facebook wants to jump in. Apple wants to jump in. Google wants to jump in. All of these uh, sneaker companies, they want to buy in. Uh, biggest two, I, three, I can say right now, Luvium, Decentraland, and Sandbox. Sandbox, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, you know I, I got them all. I got them all, right? So, <laughs> so there, you, you got to get your money, man. Mm-hmm. So when you when you buy into those platforms, you, you, you know, you, of course you want to make your money, but what you can do on those platforms, you know, you talk about an alter reality, an inner space. You know, we, we started out, you know, when I grew up, Atari, playing Atari, you play in the metaverse. Now, you know, what you guys grew up on, Nintendo. I think it's Nintendo. Yeah. It's inner space. Now, now you talk about connectivity. They do that now with PS4. It's connectivity. These guys are playing on TV. Everybody's on the mic. Everybody's seeing the same thing. Now you're talking about where you're talking about VR, virtual reality, AI, and you got goggles. You're going into that. You own digital land into there, into the metaverse. You 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 buy products in the metaverse. And a lot of these institutional buyers really caught on to this. When I say institutions versus retail buyers, me and you are retail buyers because we don't command all of that money and that power. Institutional buyers, Nike, Puma, uh, you know, anybody with big money out there, right? Tesla, those are institutional buyers. Uh, Square, Microsoft, institutional buyers. They, they pretty much command the market because they have the bigger part of the money to sway it. So when these guys are getting in, you see more adoption into this, right? So what would, would it profit an institutional buyer like McDonald's to buy into the metaverse? Because as you go into the metaverse and you're walking around, Donald's got that big flashy sign right there. Buy a burger in the metaverse and then go pick it up at the store. Or buy a burger in the metaverse and all of a sudden Uber is going to rob your door and buy it, right? Mm. So so buying uh, these guys are buying these plots of land because as people play the earn games, earn the metaverse and everything else, as you walking around, what you see, you know, you see signs of Pepsi, you see signs of Coke, you see McDonald's, Burger King, you see all of these ads coming at you constantly in the metaverse. So is it more practical to see those ads on TV or see them on metaverse when you have millions of people in the metaverse playing? You know, this stuff is like, man, this, man, this stuff is bad, man. This, I wish I was like 30 years younger. This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when when the young uh, population is moving towards the metaverse, that's going to be even for advertisers. That's going to be one of the main places to go to really get some relevancy because they're not on Facebook. So we see it now. You know, Roblox. My granddaughters play Roblox, right? Yeah, that's the biggest. That's the biggest thing going on. That's the best metaverse itself, right there. Now, when it gets bigger and bigger and get linked to all of this stuff that's going on, you'll see Roblox everywhere. So. That's the start of a metaverse, and, and it kind of, and you know, I've been retired for, what, but I've been in a forex and crypto for like a year. I think seventy percent of all new users of cryptocurrency got in in two thousand twenty-one. 
because everybody was seeing that the, the money boom, the money boom. They didn't understand the volatility that comes with this. But the, the potential of growth and making money is definitely bigger than the stock market. You know, I do stock market too, but where are you going to gain 10% on your money and what stock and how long? It takes you about a year, right? Yeah. The slow movers right there. Slow, yeah. unless you're dumping a million dollars, it's going to take you about a year, right? Mm-hmm. Versus you go get you some crypto, you wake up tomorrow, man, I'm going to make $1,500, you know? Think about yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. But is the volatility in the stock market isn't as great as it is, is it in crypto. And a lot of people understand that. You're going to have that volatility, but the, the best part of it is a decentralized environment. When I say decentralized environment, it's not controlled by any one government. The currency is not fiat. You know, and, and, the, and the conversation goes around is, Will crypto digital assets replace fiat currency? And to me, I would say yes, because these countries are running to create CBDCs, Central Digital Bank Currency. See how fast they pimp that game? Mm-hmm. A CBDC. You know what I'm saying? Nobody, nobody wants crypto, but we're going to give you guys something else. Centralized, central, well, centralized, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Central. You know, you know, I just said, yeah, but what, what's the key word in that acronym? Crypto centralized, yeah, centralized CBDC, centralized digital bank currency, right? Yeah, so now they want to replace their fiat currency because every country has a fiat, uh, a, a fiat currency the ruble, the dollar, the Deutschmark, the euro. Every country has a fiat currency now that everything is going digital with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all these other things, the banks are saying, okay, governments are saying, okay, we're, we're going to lose control because these are decentralized platforms and decentralized money we have no control over. So mm-hmm. we need to do something for, for our people. Okay, if my, and I say people might really, because we always want to feel safe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're going to give you a CBDC. We're going to give you a centralized digital bank currency that's backed by government. Since you want to play in a digital world, put your money here and use, you know, America's citrus or whatever country it is, use their use their, our money, uh, 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 a government-backed digital currency. So you mm-hmm. kind of take away the, the premise of decentralized. Yeah. And and I have and I have two views on that. When you decentralize something, no one governs it and it's all over, over the place. To me, I see anarchy, you know. You have to have regulations in this. And, and it slows a lot of these big retailers, institutional buyers from getting in because there is no regulation. To put it on your balance books, to put it on your books itself, you have to have a regulation saying, okay, I'm putting this asset on my business book. Are you guys okay with that? You know, can I show this as a, a profit, a loss, or as an asset for my company? And, you know, a lot of people are afraid of that, that regulation because they want to get taxed on it. Pay your taxes. You pay your taxes. So what? Who cares? Pay your taxes. Yeah. You know, with regulation, you kind of clean this this whole thing up, and but you open up more avenues, of more legal legal things to going on. I think for years since 2000, you know, when when it first came out in 2008, the federal government was fighting crypto, crypt, crypt, cryptology back then because they were saying you know spies using everything else to to spy on everybody. Yeah. You know. And it was, they told a couple of these scientists, you will cease and desist, or we're going to arrest you for treason. You know, you got to do a deep dive into what, where this thing came from. 
you know, with Satoshi and everybody else, you know, 2011 goes forward. They kind of made it better, made it better, you know, so it kind of goes forward. And these guys who's been in this game since 2017, they, they really capitalized because Bitcoin is going for what, six cents, $10, you know, Ethereum is going for like, you know, I got in, I got in what, at the end of 2020, you know, not bad, mm-hmm. but man, can you imagine getting in this game back then? I was complaining about the price in 2017. <laughs> now I'm like, oh. yeah. yeah, yeah, you could have been in Dubai somewhere right now. Right? <laughs> yeah. Do your podcast in Dubai, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But but you know, it, it's not late because there's always new occurring. Turn, or new, yeah, it's, new not, it's never. I mean, to me, this is this is a new environment. This is a new thing. There's always going to be new assets that's going to come come down. People always gravitate towards the top ten or top twenty that you know that has staying power, and I call safe zone. And, you know, I can I can stay them out, but anyway, that's your safe zone. Your your money's going to be there, you know, and it's going to it's going to appreciate. It's going to, it's not you know it's not going away. Search what about the top ten? They're not going away. Or you can go play in the bottom. You know, with these new processes, these new coins that come out, but these new utilities are coming out, and they, you know, they said they're going to do, they're going to do this, this. Before you know, you get a rug pull and you lose all your money. But if it does get big, you're millionaire. A lot of, a lot of young people become millionaires overnight. You, I think you just got to do your homework and understand what you're getting into. You know, any asset that you jump into, the key thing is what's utility to it, you know, and how long you think it's going to last. And you got to believe in the process yourself. Anytime I buy an asset, I have to believe it's going to work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bitcoin, I mean, that's that's hands down. I don't care where it goes. It's hands down. You got too many rich people want to, you know, rich people always want to dominate something. When you only have 21 million in circulation, okay, the keeper of the, keeper of the gate. I understand that. But these other things that's coming along, you know, it's crazy. It, there's one out there that helps with tracking. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it helps with tracking. And a lot of people don't understand. You got companies like Louis Vuitton, Prada, Gucci. These guys are already using that. You know, it's real big in China right now and a couple of these other countries. They're using it as a tracking mechanism. So you you figure if this technology is used, when, 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 that, when, I, when that Louis Vuitton purse is made from the factory, it has a, a tracking number on it, right? So it tracks from where it's made at what store it goes to, and every time it changes hands to a different buyer, you can look at that code and say, okay, it's, it's original. Mm. So mm. that's the best part because you kind of get all of these, these bootleg things out of here because these guys got tracking numbers. And, you know, I mean, a lot of things happening right now when you look at that. I can't remember which one that was. Do you guys know which one that is? No, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't think, I'm not sure if I've heard of it yet. It's good though yeah. that um, we're given examples that are not just currency because a lot of times people f- feel like uh, all the cryptocurrencies are just, you know, kind of like Bitcoin. It's more of a, whether it's, you want to call it gold or just a digital currency. Um, but some of them, like even ADA or um, there's other ones, Solana, Polygon, they do other things besides, you know, um, Act as a digital currency. Exactly. What well, utilities of that that asset itself? Yeah. You know, what is it good for? Is it good for a payment center? Is it good for technology? 
Um, you talk about uh, block the blockchain itself. Do you have an asset that can help people onboard to the blockchain that would convert a language to another language? You know, so you talk about what's a chain? Yeah, I, yeah, I watch these every day and I had a, I had a mind blank. But you have all these assets on there where when you jump into this crypto environment, you have to understand they're all used for something. Bitcoin is the only asset that's just Bitcoin. Mm. It's a digital asset. It's, you know, it's the king of the jungle. It's called V-Chain. V-Chain. Oh, yeah, V-Chain. V-chain. Okay, yeah. There you, go. there you go. <laughs> it's, not, it's not financial advice. Get you some V-Chain. Yeah, <laughs> we do. <laughs> get, you, get you some V-Chain, man. That's you definitely know. on my radar. And you figure, you know, what, what utility does that offer you? And to reinforce what I just told you, Prada, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Walmart, you know, uh, China, uh, Asian Walmart is using VeChain now. You know, they always test it somewhere else. They're testing. So when you can take that and track your products from groceries to authentic, you know, stuff that costs money, and you have a ledger on that, through the whole duration of life of that product, you feel more secure in using that, right? And these big companies feel secure, you know, because if I'm buying a Louis Vuitton, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to buy, you know, this bootleg, and I, and I can, I can verify it with this scanner. You know, yeah. somebody's always going to try to beat the game, but you know, you verify however they want to do it. And you say, okay, this was this this purse right here was was made in 2017. Everything else, these whole history, it changed hand and went to this store, this store. That's what V Chain is doing. That's the technology of it. You know, so when you buy the coin itself, you're you're hoping that technology is going to get big enough to institutional buyers and retail buyers to say, okay, it's worth something now. That 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 inflates the price of it. That's that's what we want to make our money at, right? But the pure essence of what these assets are for, that's 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 what's key. You know, you have to understand what they're for. You know, I, I got a lot of time on my hands. I ain't got no job. I my wife said don't say that no more. <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> that's a good problem. She's like, don't, she's like, don't say that. I ain't got no job. Yeah. I just did all my work. We call it house but, husband. But, you know, <laughs> We're, oh, we're, call, wow. we're yeah. called house husbands. <laughs> All about them. Hey, I'm about them honey dudes. I ain't got a problem with that. I got a ladder. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a ladder. But but you know, I took on this this crypto as a side thing, and and it, it became it came a lot. So I kind of started a platform called Black Crypto. And you know, when I say Black Crypto, oh, is it just for Black people? I don't think I don't think in that that sense. I say it's inclusive, but it's never exclusive. Mm-hmm. And that summarized the whole thing right there. You want to get in, get in. I'm not gonna keep you out. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. You know, you know, who am I generating this message to, to my community? But all are accepted to come into this community because crypto ain't got no no color on it. No. Money ain't got no color on it. I mean, it's green, but it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? When you start talking about money, it is what it is. You yeah. can you can be from wherever. You can no come discrimination. in with some money. Man, you can have a seat, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Have a seat, sir. Would you like some, uh, would you know, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. So when I created Black Crypto, you know, there's a place where people in my community can come and understand what's this new technology that's coming up. Not just money, not just this, this digital asset. What's this new technology? Because at the end of the day, it's a technology that we have to get on. And within this technology, you talk about Web3. This is something that's going to supersize the internet. 
We have three. So we have to understand now what this stuff's about. And so, you know, last year was down, I was down in LA last year with my daughter in Northridge. And, you know, I was kicking back in her room and, you know, her and my wife went shopping. Start writing the book. Okay. So it just popped, popped in my head, you know, because, you know, I've seen these kids walking. I said, you know, it's good that I know this, but if you're not sharing knowledge, it's a waste. Each one, teach one. I love that. Iron shop and all. You got you to gotta share that knowledge. So I wrote a book about Brandy and Jacob, Crypto Adventure, you know, and, and it kind of directs itself to nine to 13. I mean, a seven-year-old can read it. Okay. Seven to 13, right? But people bought that book a little older. Saying, Dang, man, that's what it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you write it in the simplest format. Yeah. You, you make it, you know, like, you know, thing I used to say is somebody's talking crazy to me, explain it to me like I'm a four-year-old. You know, yeah. I understand them big words and all of that. I go get my dictionary, break it down like I'm a four-year-old. So I can, like, we're having a conversation in the street, or we, you know, we chilling on some, some tea. Break it down to me, explain it to me. So when I wrote my book, I try to make it as simple as possible, where it's going to grasp a, a youngster and say, okay, it's kind of cool, you know, cartoons, look at Brandy, look at Jacob, they got their little bikes. You know, they, you know, little, little ride where, you know, where a guy I hear him talking about it one day, hey, I could tell you about crypto. It's a secret. You know, it's a big secret. Because right now, it's a big secret a lot of us don't know about. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people of color don't know about. They don't know the secret. But you know what? If you want to know the secret, you can know. So the book kind of kind of goes in that, that, that kind of format. And it kind of takes them on a little minor adventure of the basic of what crypto is, you know, the basic of what block technology is. So, so I, I'm selling that on Amazon right now. Okay. And it is moving. I have some pretty good reviews on it. So I already wrote the second book, you know, Brandy and Jacob get lost in the metaverse. Nice. So nice. I'm hoping by writing these little books, it's telling a story of this new technology our kids need to know, you know, and they need to know it early. They need to know it at nine at 10, you know, they need to know when you plan on roadblocks, you know, my, my granddaughter, she loves roadblocks, right? When you plan roadblocks, you're, you're basically into the metaverse. You're basically into the blockchain technology. So you have to break it down. We explain it, what this really is. So, you know, I, I've, I've it's pretty good reviews on it so far. This you know, sounds like I'm, a I'm very from- great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I would really appreciate you for doing that. Cause one of the things I brought up, before with other guests when we're talking about cryptos like what is the best way to teach kids you know uh, about crypto and a lot of people haven't figured out how um yet but i i did mention someone that i'm we're talking to someone that's created a kid's book for crypto so definitely need to get that yeah you know i'll send you guys let me know yeah i'll send you a book Oh, and definitely. the key is, I've seen you guys a book, and the thing with it is, yes, I can make money on it, and that's all good and dandy, but at the end of the day, sharing that information and opening eyes of our youth about something they're going to be utilizing is better, you know? I ain't never turned away money, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but it's same, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I mean, I got a pretty good retirement, don't get me wrong. But sharing that information and get that out there Man, instead of just being responsible, because I know something, and if I know something, I got to get it out there. And it, it, 
irresponsible is have all this knowledge and just want to capitalize yeah. for myself. You know, you know, when these kids read this book and they start getting into this black blockchain, they start getting into this metaverse, you don't know what they're going to come up with. You know, you don't know what they're going to develop. You yeah. don't know what's going to start turning in their minds and say, okay, I'm into this. I'm getting it. You know, yeah, it's definitely a big future these, in it. Oh man, it is. It's just, I think it's awesome. You know, yeah. from from my age and you know me talking to guys my age, yeah, 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 I ain't wasting my money in that. But I'm but, I'm glad to see that you're in it because I've you know I've mentioned it to a lot of people, family members, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a very small you know results. Very small. Very small and we're missing results, the boat. Yeah. It's it's getting better though. But yeah, yeah, it's getting a little better. But yeah. yeah. And that's why we try to talk crypto with as many people as we can, because sometimes, you know, it might be a different subject we're talking about. But just in case we bring up crypto just to see and we find out that that person is utilizing blockchain technology in their Mm -hmm. um, company and things like that. So we try to bring it up as much as possible on the podcast. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why we even built the platform as well is to learn from people and also so people can learn what we're learning because, you know, sometimes when it's coming from us, it doesn't necessarily always, they don't necessarily always take it in, but to hear somebody like you talking about it as well on mm-hmm. our platform, it helps. It educates me and it also educates our audience as well. So yeah, appreciate I you. Good. I think, yeah, I appreciate you guys for having me on, man. You know, you got me talking, you know, I, when I get to talking, my mouth just don't shut up sometimes. Uh, <laughs> hey, well, you know, you coming, know it's in, like, coming into the podcast world, hey, that's that's what you got to be ready for. Yeah. 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 yeah you got to be comf- comfortable. Being able to talk is, you know, that's a superpower in the oh, podcast yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely a superpower. And, you know, I think what, I think the platform, you guys, you can influence so many. Thank you. And I think that's very key that you can influence so many in a positive way. And like you say, when you start talking about crypto and, and people hear you, you know, your age, older and younger, there should be something that's going to click because, you know, you look at the Super Bowl ads, they, they were on there, but they didn't explain it in lamest term. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you showing me LeBron James and his son in Toro, or you showing me, you know, was that the cable guy or whatever that was. To me, it wasn't in a layman's term where people can grasp what it was. You know, I, I give those guys a, a, a C for getting them on a bigger platform. I give them an F because they really didn't explain it to a point where a lot of people can catch on to it right. and, yeah. and really grasp that idea. But I think when you have companies like Nikes and Adidas, uh, Puma, these guys are buying into it heavy. And, and I hate that for our people is that one time we're interested when it's when it's tagged to it's oh, validated. Shit. Yeah, I hate that. You know, yeah. I hate that. I didn't grow up on no Nikes. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, they, you know, right? They validate us by saying, "Okay, crypto's cool because it's, it's attached to Nikes. Crypto's cool because it's attached to a Gucci suit. Crypto's cool because it's attached to all that." But at the end of the day, these guys are making money. That's all they are. Yeah. They're institutional buyers and their bottom line is getting bigger and bigger, you know, and, and until we really understand that, hey, this thing is bigger than all of us. You know, this the internet was big 
And the only reason I say this is bigger because you have dollar signs attached to it. The internet was for informational trading, exchange of information. That's what the internet started as. Mm-hmm. And, then it, and then it kind of capitalized where you could put ads on it and you make your money there. But with crypto technology itself, you're talking about a platform that is the money. Yeah. You know, as that platform gets bigger, people are making money on it. As ADA gets bigger and I hold ADA assets, I'm making money on it. You know, I'm, it's, I'm contributing by, by buying into it, but I'm making money, but it's solving a problem. Right. And when people have something that's going to solve a problem, you know, you're, you're more readily to get your money into it because, you know, man, it's solving problems. It's solving problems. I mean, a person who's thinking clearly is solving problems, solving problems. So, you know, it's going to make some money. So I think that's what this asset class is doing right now. It's going to solve some problems. I mean, our, our accounting, our books, our colleges, our education, you know, the store of information itself, the access of information itself on a blockchain that's not centralized and it's not governed by one party where you can access this stuff, uh, being that there's going to be some security protocols in it so you can't alter it or everybody can't see everything. But, you know, things that the public can see. Yeah, you know, this is it's going to be mind blowing, you know. So, so that's why I wrote my little book, you know, to get get the kids going, you know, get get their minds going, you know. So I started, you know, with this, I started TikTok. My granddaughter cracks up. She's like, oh my god, TikTok! But you know, TikTok. But it is, but it is what it is. You and know? we always that's promote um, fan base as well. Yeah, so, if you um, haven't heard of fan base, yes, it's by Isaac Hayes. The third, the third. Um, uh-huh. it's a brand new platform and okay. I'm looking forward to the prosperity so from what, it and the, the success. So of it was similar. It's similar to most social media platforms, like but it has a, a couple of different systems to where it allows the, um, the creator to really kind of benefit and kind of make some money from the content, you know, so yeah. it likes you, you're able to purchase loves and you're able, you know, you have likes and you have loves. So, you know, you can give a bunch of loves if you like. And then if it has loves to where you can, um, you know, press love, you can purchase loves and you can give love. So you get a percentage of, or you can make, you, know, you basically pay a the, it's a way to, um, you can have uh, public content, but you can also post exclusive content to where they have to uh, purchase it in order to unlock it. So I just mm. did, that today like somebody said 100 loves in order to unlock this content um and then you can also have subscribers and you get money for having subscribers so it's it's kind of a mixture of kind of like having a patreon or i've never used fans only but and instagram together um it's it's pretty cool and it's black owned uh, so that's always i think i'm definitely gonna jump on that tonight fan base huh that's yeah, something yeah. new because I mean you look at these other platforms, uh TikTok, uh YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, you know, I've opened all those accounts. And you know, I think that's where information starts at. But fan base, so I really gotta look into that. You know, I love I love hearing where it was black owned or black operated, black startup. Yeah. You know, because they're there's relevant into that and a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. You know, there there's there's a lot of time that was lost now. We get back on that that playing field, that level. Yeah. yeah, and one of the things is with you know Instagram and some other platforms, they just don't show your content to your followers, and yeah. that's one been one of the biggest issues 
period. The algorithm. Because of the algorithm, it's just getting your content to the people that's following you. You, It shouldn't be as money. T- that, that hard. So, yeah. yeah. It's all about, it's, you know, I understand the algorithm. It sounds good. Yeah. It's the money. <laughs> Yeah. You know they they want you but they want you to take these ads out. They want you to boost your platform, you know. And, and then when you get so many, okay, we're going to show your content, right? You know. Yeah. But then how do you, you know, like you say, how do you get all of these followers and everything if you're not sending it out there when I post it, right? So there's always something. And to me, you know, when you get on Facebook, Facebook probably the biggest. I'm gonna be nice out there, but uh, <laughs> they what they how they connect Facebook with uh, with Twitter and uh, Instagram together, right? So you, you go into that yeah. the creator and all of this, and once you set that up, if you're not spending money, you know your ads or getting your stuff out there, it takes a very long time for you to get a presence. I don't care how how popular your information is, yeah. you have to do something to get that presence in that space. Yeah. So hopefully fan base is going to be a little better. That's what we're yeah. hoping as well. They yeah. don't play the the games of, you know. I think they show everyone um your, yeah. whoever is following you, they'll show them the content. Yeah. And yeah, see, it's a new platform, so there's that, you know, there's not millions time. of people yet, <laughs> so that gives you as a content creator um uh, a chance to dominate or in in a particular topic. And to get a jump on yeah, yeah the and platform. To get a jump on the platform. So, yeah. so that's good. I think that's good. I think I'm gonna check that out. You yeah. know, it's just uh, uh exciting times right now in the crypto environment. You know, you you guys I hope you guys are following what the SEC is doing as far as the regulatory process of, of crypto itself. And, and kind of slowly keeping up with it, but it's it's been a little tough. We've been in the podcast world as well, so we learned the information from the guests oh, as good, well. That's good. <laughs> It's kind of crazy. I mean, you look at a, a a bench a benchmark case right now is SEC versus XRP. XRP, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Is it a, is it a security? Is it not a security? Right. You know. And, what you know, is they it, open up these memo. I guess what is it about XRP that they're you know is being treated differently, and they're having this court case over like why is that well, different? They're well, they're trying to use them as an example. Mm-hmm. Were they are they selling a, a a securities product with their business with their company or was they not? Were they following the guidelines, regulatory guidelines of the SEC, you know, securities? And, and I think early on when they started, they told those guys, "So you guys are good. It's not a security." And then you know, I think when money gets involved and you start making more money, uh, it, it, my my personal opinion, I think they bit off something they 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 wish they wouldn't have. Because I don't think they see an explosion. I mean, remember this court case has been involved for a while. I don't think they see an explosion of of crypto information and people jumping on before they did that court case. I mean, so so they can say, okay, we made a mistake. But you got to figure they have to save face because how this case comes out is going to determine if they can go after somebody else or not, right? So I think they're going to lose that case, but they got to lose it with dignity, you know, and the same thing with uh, lending, lending behavior within the crypto uh, atmosphere. You go to a bank and you get 0.1% on your money, right? And the bank takes your money and lends it to somebody else and charge 8%, depending on what your credit looks like, right? That's a hustle to me. You join the crypto 
and what they call is staking is a staking pool. So if I had $5,000 worth of Ethereum and I stake it on whatever exchange I'm looking at, and they're giving me 4% or 7% just to stake it there. And I'm earning money on that. It's a conflict of interest with, with world banks and governments, because now you're providing a service that our banks cannot compete with. Mm. So the regulatory process between all of that kind of surrounds around it's, uh, XRP too, because a lot of that's going to, you know, they're trying to look at a lot of that. You know, they're, they're going at some of these exchanges and saying you're in violation. All of a sudden you're in violation. You know, the World, the world Bank, they don't want this here because those guys control everything in this world. You know, El Salvador, you know, the president mm-hmm. keep buying up this Bitcoin like he's crazy. That's the biggest <laughs> pimp in the world to me. You know what I'm saying? He, is, he, is, he a pimp, man. Yeah. He already know. You know, when the World Bank's telling you, it's not a good idea. Don't do that no more. Man, go. He go buy some more. Mm. He buy some more. He buy some more. I mean, this week with, with Ukraine and all the other things that's going on in the world, even though the markets took a big dip, <laughs> it shows that it goes back up. So this guy, the president of is probably at 36, you know, and he, he's buying a lot of it, right? He, you know, so imagine you're buying at 36, 37, and it jumps back to $70,000. What did this country just make? Gangster. Yeah. He's a pimp. He's a pimp. He's a pimp again. He's a double the country's money that fast, right? Mm-hmm. So every time it's a dip, he buys more. So if you look at statistic, you look at El Salvador's uh, tourist industry is going up. You look at the inflow of people moving to El Salvador is going up, right? So you got to pay attention. You know, you go to Cuba, they don't tax Bitcoin. Some of these countries won't tax crypto. So you got you to pay attention to what's going on because that means money's big. El Salvador used to operate by borrowing money from the World Bank. Okay, we'll let you borrow a couple billion dollars, right? Now, you into me for a couple billion. No matter what you do, you owe me some money. I don't care how big you're trying to get, you owe me. Where my money at first, right? Mm-hmm. So their GDP is not that big. So then if they tell the World Bank, I don't want to borrow that money no more. I'm going to buy me some Bitcoin. World Bank get mad now because, oh, man, you, you cutting me out. You cutting me out of my money right now, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me that. Tell me that in the pimp game. I mean, when I use that word, I use it loose. You know what I mean? You yeah. know, he's just he's he's hustling it. I mean, but but he's he's making smart moves for his country. Yeah, very smart moves because you're talking about people like Michael Saylor, Kathy Woods. He's got great investors, right? Big companies. When they're talking about an asset that can go from twenty nine thousand to maybe a hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand, and you're buying down here, what did you just do for your country? You, you don't. I mean, you don't put them back on the board. And plus, you don't owe nobody nothing. You get to pay out the World Bank and say, get out of my country. Stop pimping me. Get out of here. You know, World Bank saying, oh, man, you know, they're criminals and all of this. So it's, it's just a great time to be into that environment. Yeah. And it's a great time to, to people jump in. Right it's now. a good good example that they're setting for other countries, too, because, that I mean, a lot of countries been going in debt you know, borrowing from World Bank or whoever else, the U.S., China, whatever. Um, but, you know, it. this is a good lesson for that country to invest in 
cryptocurrency and flip flip your money. <laughs> yeah. System has been devised for all of these years. Right. Keep a third world country a third world country, and you always owe me. Keep a, I'm gonna keep. It's like society. I'm gonna keep you poor. So you always owe me. I'm gonna keep you on welfare. I'm gonna keep you all dependent on me, so I can mm-hmm. control you. You know, I, 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 I'm a, I'm a soldier, man. I'm, I'm American, right? But at the same time, these big companies and. I don't want to get into these conspiracy theories like BlackRock and everybody else, but you got to understand a lot of things were, were put in place to keep a certain class at that stage. Yeah. And don't want them to go past that stage. And we can talk about welfare. We can talk about the insurance game. Oh, you know, I was so bored last year when I got my insurance license. And when I got my insurance license, I was blown back of the insurance tax codes, the tax codes that was put in place for the wealthy that we don't know about. You know, mm. so I was blown back. That that's 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 a bigger game in the world that we just don't even average person don't even know about. So, mm. you know, somebody rich has a baby, they make million dollar babies with insurance policy. Mm. Remember, what's the only asset that you cannot tax? A death policy, right? Mm. You can't tax a death policy. So you mm. you take a death policy and you attach it with a interest bearing account. We're going to make money on it all the time, right? And at the same time, you can loan, you can lend money out of your policy. And if you don't pay it back, they just take it at they take it at the end when you die. Mm. And don't bother nobody, huh? Wow. <laughs> but you never borrow, you never borrowed from a bank. You never made a payment to pay it back. You know, you're not penalized on not paying it back, even though they say you owe 3% on it, but you're not penalized because you did. And instead of giving your family 1.5 million, they're going to give you 1.4 million because he took this money out before he died. Tell me that that is not a hustle or what? <laughs> Tax code 7709. It is so crazy. You know, the things that's, that's put in place to stop us from getting wealth. All right. So that's why I say when you talk about a decentralized asset like this, you have to be involved. You have to understand. You know, at my age, you know, I'm blessed. I thank God every day for my family and what he's let me accomplish in my life. But I have to give it back because it's not done. You're not done till you did. Understood. People say, people say are you accomplished? What's, what, what does that mean? Accomplished, right? I'm accomplished when you bury me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm accomplished. That's what God, God said, it's time. Okay, you done. I'm not done till you say I'm done. He'll let me know when I'm done because I'll be in a box somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but as we as we hear, I think it's obligation to pass this on. And when you're talking about, you know, when you got a, a, something like this, you get so excited about it. It's got to be something in it, man. I don't know if you guys get excited about crypto like I do, but it's something in it. Oh yeah, yeah I definitely do. do. <laughs> yeah, we do. But before we get ready to close it out, um, is there any links and everything to your books that you'd like to share with the audience and things like that, or any projects? Well, right now, uh, basically, it's Brandy and Jacob Crypto Adventure. You can find it on Amazon. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm on the local uh, media platforms right now, like internet. If you're going to, I'm sorry, Instagram, Black Crypto, Black Crypto on Twitter, Black Crypto on Facebook, Black Crypto on TikTok. Okay. And coming soon <laughs> yeah. to Facebook. I mean, <laughs> fan, fan base, Uh-oh. fan base. Hoping well, coming well, soon well, to fan well, base. I'm, well, you know, you know, Toby, I'm coming soon. I'm definitely a fan base. <laughs> you know, I'm forming a, right now, I'm forming a LLC. 
You know, I got okay. the Black Crypto Merc ready, you know, to be launched out. You know, just want the whole platform, uh, Black Crypto Academy to be coming pretty soon. Okay. Uh, and that academy is going to circulate about pushing that knowledge out like this, having those round robin, getting into the, the neighborhoods, talking about this. So just been a lookout for Black Crypto Academy. It's coming pretty pretty quick. Man, I didn't talk too much. Like I said, it's been an amazing conversation. (laughs) And we really appreciate all the information you've shared with us and just, you know, the life gems in general. Well, thank you guys for having me, you know. Yeah. And if you're ever in L.A., definitely stop by. Um, We have a studio. Uh, We can record a live podcast as well. So if you want to come by for an in-studio you know, recording. We always invite people out. Tell my daughter that, man. She had me in LA. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we have four mics, so if she wants to sit down and talk about her experience with everything in California as well, it's a great conversation. It's uh, Black Crypto Academy and and Black Crypto Gear and my next uh, Brandy and Jacob in the Metaverse, Lost in the Metaverse come out. I'll reach and I'll come down there and talk to you guys. You know, sit down and chat. Definitely. I'll bring the coffee. I'll bring the tea. <laughs> either one. I, I'll, yeah, bring, either I'll one. bring tea. I don't drink coffee. I some tea now. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'd like to thank all our listeners for listening, um, all our supporters. and You can find us at americangypsy.com. And we also have consistent self improvement merch at luamli.com. And you ha- uh, we have music. Also, I have music at under Classic Carpenter, and that's K-L-A-C-C-I-K-C-A-R-P-E-N-T-A. That's on Spotify, iTunes, um, Tidal, Apple Music, etc. All, all the major platforms and all the information Antonio mentioned and we mentioned will be in the description. Thank you for listening. Thank you again. Antonio, for the great information and the great conversation and the energy. Thank you guys, man. And really appreciate it. And we appreciate what you're doing um, for the kids with teaching crypto as well. And thank you to everyone listening. Consistent self-improvement to everyone. Peace. Peace.